Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters. <laughs> You're listening to Sound Matters, a podcast about sound and things that matter. My name is Tim Hinman. I'm sure there was a song once called Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. Fairly sound advice, I suppose. This is a recording I made a couple of years ago of me doing just that. I'm somewhere, and I say somewhere because I'm not really sure about where I am or was, somewhere in Iceland, in a mountainous valley surrounded by waterfalls, and I'm talking to myself. There are waterfalls all over the place pouring down from mountains all around me. Getting obsessive about exploring and recording sounds is a rare kind of madness, I suppose. It's incredible here. When a sound recorder is looking for great sounds, he or she sometimes has to go to great lengths to find them. Perhaps to the furthest corners of the world, even. At least that's what we like to tell ourselves. Not another soul. I'm going to have to follow the streams down the mountain to the source. This could take a while. It looks like it's about 100 miles. In this show, two sound artists, composers, who work with sound that they seek out in very unusual places. One of them, who will be along in the second half of the program, had to go all the way to Ethiopia to find one of the noisiest places on the planet. The other began by recording the sound of a single snowflake landing somewhere in the Alps. His name is Jan Copier. Yes, uh, my name is Jan Copier. I'm a uh, uh, composer, sound designer. Um, it's like pictures, right? Uh, you can take a picture of the Eiffel Tower. It's very boring. There's a million of those everywhere. Everybody takes pictures of the Eiffel Tower. Actually, everybody takes pictures of everything and everybody records everything as well. So, microphones are way more open and closed than your own ears. I, I like to put them to the maximum, so it's like opening your ears more than you can. So it's like looking at the world with binoculars, that would be very weird, it's not, not good. But then I get this uh, extreme sensitivity in the recordings. So I get this completely weird vision of the world. I know what I'm recording, I know what I have in mind when I do it. So what do sound artists do when they're stuck in the French Alps at Christmas time and need a little time on their own? Well, they go out recording, of course. I was just uh, out in the mountains with my family for Christmas. And at some point, I got tired of all the family uh, stories and all, and I said, OK, I'm going out for an hour or so, and I, I went out walking in the snow, and then I start recording everything around, because 
I don't know, I was just looking for some uh, sound sources and it was really nice to do that. So I had uh, headphones on and everything. And then at some point my shoelaces are untied. And then uh, I was trying to protect my microphone from getting wet. So I put it on the floor and I tried to cover it with my jacket and everything. And then suddenly I hear this uh, sounds like this really weird uh, thing. And I was like, what? What is this? And I, I mean, it was really like snowflakes falling down, right? Uh, and then, of course, I recorded it for like uh, two, three minutes. Now, I don't know if you can even hear anything here. There's not much. A tiny crackling sound. That's the snow falling. It's not much, but it was enough to give Yen an idea. Afterwards, I decided I would do something with that because it was the most uninteresting sound, but it was the most interesting principle. I tried to actually go inside this place where the snow touches the ground and use it like an ear microscope and zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, up to the point where the snowflakes become something alive. The idea is to isolate the sound, so I'm actually making like a tunnel. And then I try to remove what was above and remove what was below and isolate it. So the noise at some point disappears, the noise around, and you just hear only the snowflakes. And then they start to become something a bit bouncy, like basketballs or something like this. Um, so I actually work on the, on the structure of the sound. And then I use this um, weird reverb feedback. Technically speaking, what Jan has done is apply a weird reverb feedback, whatever that means. But by doing it, he can make snowflakes very, very loud. When the sound gets bigger, bigger, And at some point, I just make it explode. It's like the room is expanding from a very small room to a house and a cathedral and an arena and then something bigger and then something even bigger. So it sounds quite extraordinary this moment. And at some point it will like uh, suck you in and explode like the biggest explosion in the world.
Yan's adventures with snow led him to seek out a place with plenty of it. He traveled to Greenland. The only problem with recording sound in Greenland is that it's generally rather a quiet place. When I went to Greenland, everybody told me, oh, wow, you're going to record this amazing sound. Oh, there are so many amazing sounds in Greenland. And there's really not so many amazing sounds in Greenland. It's the most silent country I've ever seen or heard. So um, uh, there's a lot of fantasies. And then at the same time, all you can hear is uh, ice melt, uh, a few birds, and basically, uh, yeah, wind, and that's it. thing is to f to see things either it's so big that you cannot not see it sound wise it's the contrary it's so small that you really have to to listen so it's a it's a very paradoxical uh, situation you hear what you want to hear but uh, in the nature there's few chances that you if you have microphones and you walk around you'll just hear your own footsteps because nothing's going to disturb you. I mean, if something alive comes close to you, then you should probably run. Because if it's, if it's sweet, it's going to run away from you. And if it's not sweet, then you'd better not be recording from close. One recording in particular sticks out for Jan from this time. A recording that actually nearly cost him his life. He wasn't attacked by polar bears or other wild animals. He wasn't trapped out in wild Arctic storms. It was actually a rather simple mistake, brought about by trying to get too close to the edge. When I listen to it, I can feel the heat of the, the sun at that moment. I know the exact moment that I told my girlfriend, uh, uh, I'm just going for, for uh, 20 minutes uh, to do some recording. I think I, I really would like to do that and then I probably came back an hour and a half later the, the sea was totally frozen at that moment so it's, it was uh, in the winter and then uh, then I saw all these, these millions of particles of ice all put together and the, the sea is pushing them towards the shore and they are just making this clinky splendid fantastic sound absolutely amazing and then once I saw it I ran home I came back with my gear and when I came back, the sea had, had, you know, the tide was going down. So actually, all of these pieces of ice were on the floor. Uh, and I was so disappointed, so I actually crushed them uh, with my feet as much as I could. <laughs> At some point, I managed to slip and then stay in a kind of stable position. And I was recording and I was super happy. And at the same time, I had an alarm bell in my head that said, you have no clue how to get out of here. It was like, uh, it, was, it was ice. I was just sitting there with my uh, butt planted uh, on the ice, and I didn't dare to move. Jan got stuck on the super slippery ice at the edge of the sea. One false move, and he would fall in and be frozen to death in less than a minute. It was so dangerous. We were visiting a friend's house. And I could see the house from where I was. And my girlfriend was in there with, with uh, our friend. And I was hoping for them to see me. But they just uh, were looking at me once in a while from the window and they were thinking I had a great time. And I was actually totally stressed in the end. <laughs> but I could totally have uh, gone in the water. It was, I would say, 
very stupid. And it was so stupid that I haven't really done anything with the sound afterwards yet. Jan has still to decide exactly what to do with his sound recordings from the ice. But by using such unusual sound sources as a starting point for sound design and for composition, Jan can always reach back into his recording archives for inspiration. So now it's time to meet the second intrepid explorer of sound and to travel far, far away from the snow and ice of Greenland. We're headed to Ethiopia, in fact, with the Danish sound artist Jakob Kierkegaard. I'm Jakob Kierkegaard from Denmark. Jakob's ideas about sound mean that he actually wants to try and go inside the very objects that make noise. I really want to dive into sound, to get closer to it, to the matter of sound, or to go even behind the sound. His work has taken him all over the world, and he's recorded sounds in some very unusual locations, big and small. He's recorded and made work out of the sound of nuclear power stations. He recorded the deserted town and buildings around Chernobyl. And he's even recorded the tiniest sounds from his own inner ear. But this time, Jakob found himself in Ethiopia. Ethiopia started out for me as a kind of thing that popped up in my consciousness when I heard the music from there a long time ago. The tracks from Ethiopia just stood out. It didn't sound like anything else. It always intrigued me. How can I, as a foreigner, listen to this place? How can I experience what they are experiencing? I ended up uh, going there. As soon as you arrive in Addis, you get out of the airport, you are met with this beautiful smell in the air. It smells very good. The temperature is just perfect. It's not too hot, not too cold. The vibe is amazing. It's just, uh, you're in Africa, but you are also not in Africa because Ethiopia is just uh, an alien place. An alien place for Jakob, of course, but not for those who live there. So what to listen for? What to record? Now how can I really dive into to the sound of Ethiopia? Because I will hear the sound of, of Ethiopia totally differently from, from them. They know their sounds. I don't know any of the sounds, so I might point out some sounds that I find interesting and say, oh, what's that sound? a sound that they wouldn't even pay attention to anymore. It didn't take long for Jakob to find his way. Just head for the noisiest place in town. Part of the biggest outdoor market in Africa is called Makato. It's in the middle of the capital, Addis Ababa. And deep inside this market, you have a sort of recycling area. And we just went in there and I thought, holy moly. You walk in and you hear this, like, drumming. And you get closer 
And as closer you get into this place, like a labyrinth, these sounds just start to surround you. Basically, you have, I don't know, around 50 people, maybe, men sitting or standing around with oil barrels and beating on them like crazy with their hammers and in all different uh, kinds of tempos. First time I went in there, I had my microphone with me and I just immediately pulled it out and started recording. And they were very kind to, to let me record. I could go really close. Yeah, I didn't know how to, to record the sound at the same time to, to block my ears. I had some uh, headphones that blocked the outer sounds quite well. But at some point I had to try to take them a bit off and I just couldn't. It was too loud. no idea how they do it. Sometimes they try to put a newspaper in their ears, but most of the time they just take it. The way I recorded the sounds was to bring my microphone and um, my accelerometer, which is a contact microphone of a kind, like a vibration sensor. And I use that a lot to dive into objects that I record, to listen to them uh, from within. I like to compare sounds to human beings, we have a surface as human beings. We have a skin and we have something in front of our skin and then we have something behind our skin. And we also, I don't know, resonate or vibrate with our surroundings. I like to think that a sound has a surface. I cannot prove that it has so, but it's something that inspires me to think. Sounds are not what they seem. You hear them because they travel through the air. But that sound you hear has a source. Metal plate or something. Can you listen to the sound of that metal plate before it manifests itself into air? Sonically, you will be invited into the object. It sounds great. If you want to experience these sounds, you just have to open your ears and do the listening. It's all about our perception. And if we try to then experience this, or we get the chance to experience it in another way, like zooming in, it will maybe tell us something about that the world is not as it seems. And maybe that's why we're doing this. 
why paying attention to the sound of the world around us actually has a really special kind of payoff. New ways of hearing equals new ways of seeing the world. And that, some people might say, is simply a very good idea. Thank you to sound artist and composer Jan Kopier. You can check out his work if you visit his website at studiooval.com. That's studio-ovale.com. And thanks, of course, to Jakob Kierkegaard, who also has a website where you can hear, see, and experience more of his work. The address for that is phonic.dk. That's F-O-N-I-K dot D-K. Thank you to Andrea Rangecroft for editorial assistance with this show. This edition of Sound Matters was written and produced by myself, and my name is Tim Hinman. Sound Matters is made possible by BNO Play, and you can find out much more about them by visiting their website at boplay.com. That's B-E-O-Play.com. Sound Matters.